Hello and welcome to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. We are an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and economy run by the working class. A society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for the few. Renegade Paradise is a news, commentary, and educational platform based on socialist analysis from activists here on the ground in the Low Country. By sharing a socialist perspective and by lifting up the voices of our allies and comrades, we hope to create space for folks in this part of the country looking to deepen their understanding of leftist politics, but who might not know exactly where to start. Members of the Charleston Democratic Socialists of America come from a broad, diverse set of backgrounds and tendencies within the spectrum of the working class left. What unites us is one common goal, to build a different world, a better world. I'm CJ Bones, and tonight we're going to be talking about building power from the ground up in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Specifically, we're going to be discussing organizing for tenants' rights with a couple of guests tonight. I'll be joined by Chris, who you all might recognize from one of our previous episodes uh, with Mutual Aid Disaster Relief. Uh, Together, we're going to be talking with Effie Francis, who spoke during our recent collaborative virtual town hall with several key social justice organizations based here in the Lowcountry, such as uh, Charleston Immigration Coalition, Nuestro Estado, Charleston Area Justice Ministry, South Carolina Poor People's Campaign, and Southerners on New Ground. Local Representative Marvin Pendarvis of District 113 was on the call, and we also had Adam Prothero of the South Carolina Appleseed Legal Justice Center. Having worked in the retail, medical, nonprofit, and food and beverage fields for many years, Francis became unemployed after Governor Henry McMaster ordered all non-essential businesses to close. Francis is part of some 30 million workers across the country that have suddenly been cut off from their income. In South Carolina alone, more than 341,000 people have reported losing their jobs since the start of the pandemic. The challenges don't end there. Francis is immunocompromised due to a medical condition, and one of their symptoms is problems with mobility, so their job and housing options are more limited because they must be wheelchair accessible and their aforementioned immunity issues make it more dangerous to be out in public looking for work. Francis has since devoted more time towards organizing for tenants' rights. On the virtual town hall, they discussed their personal experiences and shared resources and suggestions on tenant organizing. Before we get into the interview portion of this episode, we here at Charleston DSA stand with our comrades in other chapters across the country calling for an emergency moratorium on evictions and utility shutoffs and full cancellation of rents until the crisis abates. If workers are unable to work because of quarantine, it obviously stands to reason that they can't pay their rent or utilities. We also once again call for the full nationalization of all water, electrical, and utility services. These services are critical, especially during this global pandemic, and must be provided as a human right, not hoarded by a handful of greedy billionaire capitalist parasites. So since we're still doing the uh, social distancing thing, I'm going to switch over to the phone now. Audio might be a little rough at times, so please bear with me. Thanks again to all of you who are still out there listening. I hope you're safe, well, and doing the best you can. We're all we got, so let's take care of each other. I'm CJ Bones, and you're listening to Renegade Paradise. Effie, I wanted to thank you again for joining us this evening. And I know things are challenging right now, and, and, and you're, you're keeping busy, so... Thanks again for uh, spending a little bit of your valuable time with us. And Chris, thank you as well for joining. Um, I, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, you know, get some good discussion in this episode and, and hopefully help a lot of folks out that are struggling right now. So thanks both of you for uh, spending some time with me today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, glad to be here. Awesome. So this first question is for Effie. Um, Effie, please tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and how you met Chris. Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess just going to jump right into it. I am a disabled, queer, and trans person. 
working and living in the South. Um, I am non-binary. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I joined the disability community, essentially hitting the ground rolling, so to speak, um, by jumping right into disability advocacy work, um, mainly through the nonprofit sector. Um, I have definitely been impacted by the current global pandemic going on, um, not only with regards to my health, but also, by the way, I feel like the government on a federal, state, and local level has kind of been handling the crisis. Um, I met Chris through Melissa Moore, who's a dear friend and comrade of mine, um, doing some amazing activism in the low country and across South Carolina. Um, Melissa invited me to participate in the recent um, collaborative virtual town hall meeting that Chris and others in the SC Housing Justice Network kind of spearheaded, um, and I was able to share my experience as a tenant affected financially by this pandemic. Right. Yeah. So you were uh, you're you're working from a place of of personal experience, intersecting a lot of of different identities and and different life situations. So that the, the it was a good opportunity for you to share some hard fought wisdom. It sounds like. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Chris, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the South Carolina Housing Justice Organization, please. Sure. Well, we were really grateful to have Effie join our our first action, as it were, as a network. Um, we we held a, a virtual town hall, tenant rights under COVID nineteen in South Carolina. Um, but a few weeks ago, it was actually late April, just before uh, rent came due for a lot of folks um, on May 1st, and um, it was sort of an initial attempt to gather um, folks, including lawyers and elected officials. We had Representative Penn Darvis, who represents uh, part of the Low Country in the South Carolina State Legislature, joined the panel along with Effie and uh, an attorney from the South Carolina Appleseed Justice Center talking about, yeah, some real talk about, like, what this pandemic has been like for tenants, Um, what it's like being a tenant under, quote-unquote, normal circumstances, um, challenging in in South Carolina to begin with, and uh, doing some initial work to bring tenants together uh, across the state of South Carolina to recognize um, what we need in terms of tenant protection, what we have, um, what we're working with currently, and what we can do together. So the South Carolina Housing Justice Network really emerged during this pandemic in response to um, the existing levels of housing insecurity across our state and uh, the lack of statewide housing justice organizing in the state. Um, you know, I think there there is a lot of good social justice work happening across the state, uh, and there's some good local organizing around affordable housing and tenant rights. Um, but to our knowledge, those of us who came together in sort of early April to start talking about what this network could be, uh, really identified a gap in terms of statewide um, tenant organizing, tenant-led work to demand rights um, and demand protections and We'll talk a little bit more about what what that looks like, hopefully. But um, we started off in this pandemic from a place of mutual aid, also recognizing, like, when the state and the market have failed us, as they uh, have for a long time and and is increasingly clear during this pandemic, um, we have to take care of each other. So the South Carolina Housing Justice Network is um, something that we're building as we go, but an attempt to, to bring folks together to demand housing justice. Okay, thank you. Yes, and um, I, I really like what um, the organization is doing because um, it's important uh, for us as leftists to talk about winning uh, real material victories for the folks that need it the most. I don't think that we are helped by spending all of our time, all of our energy into uh, pushing for this candidate or for that candidate. Um, that definitely has its place, 
but I think it's also important for things like mutual aid, uh, things like housing justice. We, we always have to have our eye on the ball in this case, especially during uh, this unprecedented time. Um, so on that note, can both y'all talk about your respective backgrounds in organizing? Uh, and if you could specifically talk about tenants' rights, uh, that would, I would really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I can go first, or Chris, you can jump right in if it matters. <laughs> um, Please, go for it. So like I Go mentioned before, uh, my background in activism and organizing work really started through the disability community. Um, I was really working off of my lived experience as a physically disabled person. I'm a full-time wheelchair user. Um, and my advocacy really started reaching an intersectional point kind of as I was coming more into my identity as a queer, trans, and um, fat liberationist individual. Um, so with kind of those experiences working behind me, it, it really colored my perspective into tenants' rights, um, organizing that's really going on right now. Um, while there's obviously a really huge disconnect and power imbalance in the capitalist relationship between tenants and landlords um, or leasing companies, I am particularly concerned about the impact on, like, the LGBTQIA plus and disability communities specifically, um, mostly because these are communities that are already heavily marginalized by society, even more so when you add in um, other intersections such as race, ethnicity, national origin, immigration status, like the list goes on. Um, the more you kind of pile on those intersections, like really playing playing the game of life on intermediate level. And right. so that's something that, that really I factor into my my advocacy work as a whole. Yeah, uh, that, that hard-fought wisdom uh, we were talking about earlier. Uh, Chris, yeah. um, what about you? Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, your background organizing in this area? I know we talked somewhat about it in a previous episode, but for those who have maybe not um, listened to that one yet. Absolutely. Yeah, so I moved back east in 2018 after spending about seven years organizing and working for economic and racial justice in the Bay Area, Oakland, California, the unceded territory of the Ohlone people. Um, and there um, I had a really master class in organizing from folks who've been on the ground doing some really radical work um, for many generations. Um, so I helped, among other things, organize around food justice in the Bay Area, um, you know, food deserts or food apartheid sites, as folks, I think, are more clearly calling them. Um, done a lot of work around workplace democracy um, through worker cooperative development, um, building structures so that the workers and people producing value are actually the ones who are, who are re receiving the benefits of that value. Right. Um, done some work around in indigenous sovereignty and fossil fuel divestment. I was part of a caravan from the Bay Area to uh, Sandy Rock um, wow. in solidarity with the uh, Lakota, Lakota and Dakota people. We're challenging the illegal construction of a fossil fuel pipeline through their territories. Um, and then came back and helped organize a coalition that uh, got the city of Oakland to divest its funds from um, J.P. Morgan Chase, which is one of the largest financiers of fossil fuel infrastructure. And the, the thing I've been most involved in is organizing around anti-displacement and gentrification. Um, so the Bay Area, of course, is sort of one of many um, ground zeros for the, the housing crisis across this country. And that organizing has taken different forms over the years. You know, some of it's just eviction defense, like keeping people in their homes when the sheriff is coming to forcibly remove them. Right. Um, some of it has been organizing around in the Bay Area um, the use of public lands. So, for example, there is a, a struggle to 
save this one parcel of public land from being um, basically given to private developers to put luxury apartments on it. And folks, myself included, um, advocated to uh, use that site to build um, 100% permanently affordable housing for the residents, the historic residents of that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's a multi-year campaign, including direct action. We like actually shut down a city council meeting, people like locking themselves down to uh, <laughs> the the seats of the city council members to prevent the, the, what we thought the unjust sale of that land. Um, yeah. But the stuff that I've been most involved in is around building community-owned institutions to actually take back and control land and housing, like community land trusts, for example, and real estate cooperatives. Um, so that's the work I did in the Bay Area that um, has really informed me as I uh, moved back east to South Carolina. Um, I also became an attorney without going to law school in California, which is something you can do in a, a small number of states. Um so I, I still work for an organization that's um, based in the Bay Area um, and do some legal work there, but um, helping to spread the, the good word of economic democracy here in South Carolina now as well. And I uh, started right. organizing with Charleston DSA in, in 2018, not long after I moved here. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're glad to have you. <laughs> yeah. So earlier, um, Chris, you had talked about land being bought up in and basically uh these expensive luxury housing and luxury condos for the one percent of society essentially um and i think the other side of the coin of that especially here in south carolina i can't or or in charleston specifically i can't really speak for oakland but i imagine there's probably some similarities uh charleston county has the highest eviction rates in the country a lack of affordable housing is a, a big deal here, um, and landlord, uh, all the laws here regarding tenants' rights and landlords' rights, landlords' rights heavily favor the landlord. Uh, so the South was already facing a housing crisis well before COVID-19, obviously, but uh, the real economic conditions on the ground have only magnified that. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, and, and this is a question for both of y'all. What are your thoughts as to how the pandemic will affect this crisis? Um, So I guess, honestly, um, I see really what's happening, current affairs with the global crisis is kind of like a twofold deal. Um, So like y'all are saying, the system was pretty much already overwhelmingly set up to fail its communities, right? Right. these are situations that were going on long before this pandemic started. Um, But I think now that it's impacting folks almost all the way across the board and not just the most marginalized, I feel like it's really opening the country's eyes to a lot of the disparities that have been affecting these vulnerable populations. Um, So, again, honestly, like, this stuff has been happening, right? And so this pandemic is, I think, just kind of bringing it to the light. Um, And to be completely frank, (laughs) I think the time for revolution and the overthrow of, you know, this capitalist system is kind of now more than ever. (laughs) Hell yes. (laughs) Yeah, this is, um, we're seeing the contradictions of capitalism right now. Um, I think uh, more clearly and more starkly than at any point in my entire life. Right. So it, it's the question of whether or not capitalism is, is equitable or sustainable has been answered. And now the question is, what the fuck are we going to do about it? Right. right. Again, because, I mean, this is stuff we <laughs> this is stuff we've been new, right? right. <laughs> it's just kind of interesting to see, like, the knowledge really starting to hit communities that have not been as affected by these issues. Um, and right. again, like I would never call this a good thing, but you know, silver lining, maybe this is it's actually going to give us experience. Ex- illuminating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is, I feel like it's, it's really, it's really highlighting what needs to change more than ever. 
right? Yeah. Just to build on that, I mean, as y'all have both said, um, you know, housing under capitalism was already a crisis. This pandemic has just intensified those pressures. Um, we're talking now two days after the South Carolina uh, moratorium on evictions and foreclosures ended, meaning that for the first time since the pandemic was declared here that um, eviction and foreclosure proceedings are being processed. Um, evictions under any circumstances are, are sort of a form of violence. I mean, they have some pretty long-lasting economic and psychological impacts on people. Right. Um, right. And there's some really great research that started to really uh, highlight that from uh, the eviction lab, which is really documenting what eviction, the toll that it takes on folks. But right now under pandemic circumstances, it's also, you know, of course, increasing the risk of infection, um, of death, frankly, for people and of community spread. So it's really revealing that housing is also healthcare and that evictions right now are furthering a public health crisis. Um, we, you know, and this is not, of course, the first time that our economy has completely collapsed in recent memory. Um, in 2008, 2009, you know, our uh, global economy collapsed and 10 million people lost their homes to foreclosure during that crisis right. in this country and probably countless others to eviction. They just simply are not statistics on the number of people evicted as a direct result of that crisis. Um, the systemic impact of that is, is incalculable. It's been recognized as the greatest loss of black wealth in modern history, the foreclosure crisis, the greatest right. loss of black wealth. Um, that's a staggering statistic. And it's since led to the fact that there's a lower percentage of black homeowners now than um, before the passage of the Fair Housing Act in the 1960s meaning that a higher percentage of black people owned homes when segregation was legal than they do now. Um, it's also led to the rise of um, what some folks call the renter nation. So more people are renting now uh, than they were before the 2008 collapse, um, which primarily affects working class communities and disproportionately uh, working class communities of color because a lot of housing was bought up by um, hedge funds, corporate landowners who took housing that was actually owned, owner-occupied housing, and con converted it into rental housing. Uh, and right. because so many places like South Carolina have no, basically no protections for renters, that means that landlords can evict people sort of for whatever reason they want. They can increase rents, uh, whatever rate that they want. Um, and as you said, you know, the Charleston County has the highest eviction rate in the country. Um, right. Coming from the Bay Area where it's such an acute crisis, like that's, that's a shock to me. Um, but because of, you know, all of this, like what's being revealed and because people are really being pushed to the brink, um, as Effie was saying, I also think this moment presents real possibilities for radical transformation. You know, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this, but, you know, folks are organizing large-scale rent strikes across the country for the first time in, you know, 80 or 90 years. Um, yeah. There's real demand right. for universal housing being made right now. Um, there's folks in the Bay Area, um, houseless mothers, who just straight up occupied vacant homes um, that were owned by speculators and said, you know, you're, you're not going to make this housing available. We're just going to take it. Um, because we deserve housing right now. So there's really a surge of radical tenant organizing uh, that, to me, is deeply hopeful in this moment. Right. And right. we will – yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll share um, a link in the episode description to the eviction lab. I think what we need what, – what I want this episode to do is to really encapsulate where we are at this moment in time. Uh, and we definitely have a very strong choice of where to go. Uh, and, and to me, the slogan, 
socialism or barbarism has never been more appropriate. Um, and also just uh, kind of to build on both y'all's uh, talk, uh, both y'all's points earlier, when we recorded this episode, which is May 17th, the uh, United States uh, has had a total of 89,754 deaths due to COVID-19. Um, and if you break it down into uh, states, South Carolina, luckily we have not had you know, that we haven't had to struggle as much as, you know, our comrades uh, in New York have or as Illinois or Washington, but we've had 380 deaths since uh, the outbreak began. And I seem to remember a time uh, where, you know, when when 3,000 Americans died one day in uh, during September 11th, like that was enough of an excuse to dramatically alter are the future of our country forever. Uh, and now as we approach this death toll almost on a daily basis, the failure of our government, of our elected officials to do anything, uh, it really demonstrates a, a stranglehold on the working class right now. And, uh, to y'all's points, the dramatic upsurge in radical action, in direct action, in rent strikes, I think is hopeful. Um, and I think we have not seen the last of it, especially as this crisis looks like something that won't dissipate anytime soon, basically. Right. Um, so this next question is for Effie specifically. Uh, talk us through your landlord's response to the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you think going public with your story affected or changed their reaction? Why or why not? Um, so kind of as was mentioned in the virtual town hall meeting um, we held previously my kind of touched on it there, but I'll, again, kind of go over it for folks who may have not been able to tune into that um, collaboration. Uh, my landlord's immediate response to the COVID-19 pandemic was to send out a blanket statement email to myself, my roommate, and all of our neighbors, pretty much everybody um, that I I'm surrounded by in this neighborhood um, stating, quote, it is important to be sure we are on the same page about your rental payment. And we want to remind you that the terms of the lease are in effect in good times and in bad. And our expectation is that rent will be paid on time with no questions asked, end quote. That definitely sounds like a mob threat. <laughs> oh, it, it gets worse. <laughs> um, another quote Crap from in. that email. <laughs> another quote. Um, Any delinquent tenants will be subject to our standard late policies, which include a 5% late fee being added to your account and eviction proceedings taking place, end quote. And then finally, um, to end that statement, uh, quote, in times of uncertainty, you must maintain the four walls of your home, food, shelter, transportation, and utilities, and ride out the bad times while waiting for better days. Um, well, I, I agree, but not in the way that they're fucking thinking. <laughs> uh, better days will assuredly come and we will all get through this together stay safe and let us know if you need anything end quote <laughs> I'm just gonna let that kind of like speak uh, for itself for a second <laughs> um, yeah it was mind boggling to receive that um, and I honestly can't really say I know for certain that kind of coming forward with my story has affected my landlord's reaction specifically. Um, but if nothing else, I just hope that it brings to light really the inhumanity and the lack of compassion or understanding that is given to underprivileged folks and how this has been going on like this for a very long, long time. 
Right. That that is a lot to handle. Yeah. <laughs> kind of one of those like laugh to keep from like crying, screaming, what have you. <laughs> <Pretty much. laughs> it's like what else do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think that if like you said, if nothing else that makes abundantly clear and crystallizes the soulless, parasitic nature of landlords and of yep. rent of of how we approach housing in the United States right now, especially mm-hmm. here in the South, where there is essentially no uh, no protections for renters. And right. It makes very clear in, in very plain language because I did not hear one word of legalese in that email. It probably took him five minutes to write and send. <laughs> it it definitely crystallized just the casual brutality of how we decide as a society to treat people and 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 the task that the left has in front of it. Uh, um, Chris, this question is for you. <laughs> uh, I just had to shake off. I, I had to shake that off a little bit. <laughs> um, what is the state of, and, and we've touched on this obviously, um, but talk a little bit about tenant organizing in South Carolina, uh, and tell us about the formation of the South Carolina Housing Justice Network and what it's demanding right now. Like, what's the pushback against everything that we just talked about uh, a minute ago. Yeah. Well, first I just want to, you know, acknowledge the level of, um, of anxiety and stress that must cause to be in that situation, Effie, and, um, you know, the thousands and thousands of other people that are in that same place right now. Um, so the South Carolina Housing Justice Network really came together in mutual recognition of sort of all those things we we already named at the beginning. You know, housing under capitalism is a crisis to begin with. Um, And recognizing that no one is going to protect renters if renters and other housing insecure people don't really demand it ourselves. Um, You know, I think partly this whole system is maintained by the fragmentation of people's stories. And so it is so valuable to have Effie come forward and share that um, because inevitably there are so many people who who can see themselves in that same moment. Um, but unfortunately, uh, as mentioned, um, to our knowledge at least, there wasn't really any statewide formation focused on tenant organizing. And so, you know, we recognize that uh, even though we're under these crisis conditions right now, we needed to start building something, um, even if we're not able to achieve our full set of demands, which I can share more about um, in this moment, that we need to start somewhere and we need to just build the road as we go in terms of tenant organizing. Um, So the Housing Justice Network, um, you know, as it exists now as a coalition of statewide organizers and organizations, um, all of whom who are doing good work on their own. Um, but are dedicating some of their time and resources to to do what we can now to demand housing justice. And we're really trying to follow the leadership of folks on the ground um, and organizers around the country demanding that under during this pandemic when, you know, at least 35 million people are out of work because of the pandemic, that landlords shouldn't have their profits uninterrupted too. So we're demanding, you know, no evictions or foreclosures, at least throughout the um, the state of emergency. So extend the eviction and foreclosure moratorium uh, universally, including for residents of short-term hotel and, and motel rentals. Okay. But, you know, we know that that's not enough in and of itself, because as FD landlords made clear, even if they couldn't evict them 
right away, they were still expected to pay their rent, even if someone doesn't have their income. So we're also demanding um, full cancellation of rent and mortgage obligations during this period so that people don't fall further into debt just to keep up with their rental payments. Um, we're also demanding a freeze on rent so that landlords can't um, price gouge and further displace uh, at-risk folks. So, you know, capping the, the existing rent levels for, you know, a period of at least six months during or beyond the crisis. Um, and we're also demanding homes for all that, you know, houseless folks and unsheltered folks, um, particularly during this moment of public health crisis, should be provided with safe and secure shelter. So, whether that's requisitioning public buildings that are not in use, whether it's uh, negotiating with private hotels to make those rooms available. Um, people are doing this around the world because it's the right thing to do, and so right. we're demanding it here. So, oh, I mean, yeah. as mentioned, the, you know, the eviction moratorium actually just ended two days ago. Um, right. We've been calling on the governor to issue um, an executive order to extend that which he hasn't. He himself is a landlord, so perhaps it's no surprise that he wouldn't be uh, taking action to, to curb his own profit. But in this moment, um, without that even most basic of protections against the sort of cruel, uh, the casually cruel uh, eviction process, as you say, um, we're now going to be reorienting, uh, kind of stepping back and be like, what's, what's our strategy now? to try to protect folks and keep them in their homes. Right. According uh, to checkyourfacts.com, there are more, and I, and I think this is a, the statistic that I see most often online. They, they, they tally the houseless population at uh, 633,000 folks um, and more than 13.9 million vacant homes in America. So, Without any infrastructure improvements, we have more than enough physical structures to make sure that nobody has to sleep on the street at night. What we're doing under capitalism is a choice. One of the best things we can do on the left is emphasize this. All of this is a choice. This is not a natural order. This is not just the way things are. This is not because, like, this is not a situation where people are just going to have to take it on the chin because we on the working class, that's what we're already doing. And for landlords to be so entitled to feel like they are owed a check, regardless of whether or not their, their tenants can pay, I'll tell you who the snowflakes are. It's not us. Uh, Effie, what has your experience been like since May 1st? Have you been able to find additional resources since then? Um, sorry, I was, I think I was on mute and I was laughing at the snowflakes comment. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it's, oh wow, that rings true. <laughs> As a millennial. Anyway. Yeah, I went a little off script there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, best, best kind. Love it. Rings true. Um, but to answer your question, CJ, um, since May 1st, I honestly have never felt more humbled and more thankful than the response I received after sharing my story with the public. Um, the interview that I did with Travis that got published in the state newspaper, um, I had friends um, and even complete strangers reaching out after reading uh, my interview um, offering to share resources and in some cases even just to directly donate money to assist with a lot of my steadily looming housing and medical bills, um, which there's a lot of, I say, as a <laughs> significantly disabled, uh, uninsured American. Um, housing and medical bills, that's, you know, top two right now. One thing that's honestly has never been clearer to me than during this crisis is that community care is how we survive. You know, who takes care of us? We take care of us. That's right. That aspect is really, I think, becoming a, a cultural phenomenon um, as we see these repeated crises 
uh, happened over and over again. Uh, things like hurricane disaster relief come to mind. Uh, things like medical bills come to mind. Uh, I personally have been on the receiving end of some very generous folks uh, from DSA after struggling uh, with some of my medical bills uh, a few years ago. And I, I think it's wise that we not underestimate the power of just, reg- just everyday folks organizing and pooling their resources. But at the same time, it's no substitute for like a truly just, uh, truly equitable society. But that's great, Effie. And uh, I'm so glad that you were able to, like your experience, that somebody took something from that from reading about your experience and then reached out and and shared some of their resources with you. Uh, that's really, I think, what we, uh, I hope, will continue to do on the left uh, because I don't see things getting better immediately. I think this is something that we're going to have to start getting better at. Y'all are forever. That's right. <laughs> Southern <laughs> socialists like to say. Yeah, we we take care of each other. Exactly. Community um, care. That's it. So um, some cities and some states have issued temporary eviction and foreclosure moratoriums during the pandemic. Uh, we just talked about how um, the moratorium here in South Carolina expired on the 15th. Are these temporary measures enough and what else is needed to keep people in their homes? And uh, Chris, I think this is probably a good opportunity for us. Uh, I'm going to let Effie go first, but I think um, Chris, uh, after she answers, I think it would be great for you to uh, share some of those demands that you were talking about earlier. Cool. Yeah, um, I can definitely crack at it first. Um, They pronouns, so. Um, So, Kind of regarding the question, are these temporary evictions and foreclosure moratoriums during the pandemic, is that enough? Um, I mean, honestly, we know it's not enough. Um, it, it, while it's beneficial that certain cities and states are recognizing that um, these people who have been impacted um, financially, these unemployed folks literally cannot pay their bills and are are staving off penalization, wow, (laughs) the bar is on the floor, right? What good is a temporary halt on eviction proceedings when the second it ends? Um, Hundreds to thousands of people will be forced out of their homes, right? Um, If your home isn't foreclosed on now, when will it be? I think we all know that temporary moratoriums are great in the short term, but I think this crisis needs to be viewed with a much, much longer lens than the country is currently using. And then, frankly, I am very much on the side of abolishing the capitalist systems that put a price on what we as humans literally cannot survive without. Um, Housing is a civil right, and that's you know, very much kind of rolled into that. Damn right. And and thank you for the, the uh, correction, by the way. I apologize. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, Chris, uh, what about you? Uh, can you share some of those demands? Um, and are these temporary measures enough? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think Effie nailed it. Like, of course, they're not enough. Um and in fact, there's a concern that um, this moment, even with the temporary moratoriums in place in some uh, jurisdictions, will lead to another massive concentration of housing in the hands of corporate landlords, um, hedge funds, and, and other extractive and speculative investors, um, and create a sort of new level of housing precarity even worse than than what existed a few months ago, which was already um, completely unacceptable. Um, and we do need to figure out what the sort of emergency response is. So locally, um, just to, to restate some of the demands that the South Carolina Housing Justice Network um, are working on, no evictions or foreclosures during this pandemic period 
cancel the rent and cancel mortgages. No one should have to pay uh, any late fees um, or fines or normal rent obligations. Freeze the rent. Guarantee homes for all. And importantly, no utility shutoff. Uh, and restore essential services to folks. Because that is one way that landlords, even under the um, moratorium, were basically forcing people out illegally, is shutting off the power, shutting off the water, uh, shutting off internet access, the things that folks actually require to survive right now. Um, so these are basic demands that um, we're putting forward in solidarity with uh, other folks around the country and around the world, really. But what do we really need? You know, we need a full decommodification of the housing market. Um, as we said, housing under capitalism is not designed to put a home, to put every person in a home. It right. simply will never do that. Um, so what we need, um, again, as a baseline are tenant protections. So, just cause eviction um, legislation, meaning that landlords have to have a so-called just cause for pushing people out. We need rent control uh, to stabilize the cost of housing and remove some ability for corporate landlords to just drive poor people out by raising prices. We need a lot more funding for affordable housing. But I think beyond that, um, we need a homes guarantee. We need to actually enact the human right to housing by guaranteeing uh, every person in this country a home. Uh, and there are leaders who are actually articulating what this could look like. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for example, and Ilhan Omar, the squad basically have put forward a suite of legislation that would um, do this very clearly. So Ilhan Omar introduced the Written Mortgage Cancellation Act recently, which would, um, across the country, ban evictions and foreclosures and provide funding to keep people in their homes. AOC and uh, Bernie Sanders introduced the Green New Deal for public housing to invest several hundred billion dollars um, back into our, our public housing stock. So uh, we have the resources right now. Um, to put people in their homes. We know the government can come up with literally on the spot four to six trillion dollars, uh, for corporations. Right. So the money is there to provide, uh, housing. And as you very rightly said, the number of vacant housing units across this country far exceeds the number of people without shelter who want it. So it's purely, um, a problem of distribution, not supply. Um, right. And we need social housing. I mean, housing needs to be completely removed from the speculative market. It needs to be owned and controlled by community, um, by tenants, by cooperatives, and by the public sector. Exactly. I pulled up the uh, Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act, uh, and to kind of go over that uh, very briefly, yeah, it seems like uh, in addition to – uh, canceling their payments, renters and uh, mortgagers would be provided additional protections by provisions in the bill. Uh, so landlords and lenders uh, could not take specific actions against them. More specifically, during the period of suspended payments, no tenant or mortgager uh, may be charged a fine or fee for non-payment. Uh, non-payment cannot be uh, a ground for terminating a tenancy or eviction. Uh, and after the, the pandemic, no tenant may be held liable for repayment of any suspended rent payments. The time has long since passed for us to start talking about it. Like, we need to, mm -hmm. this needs to be, like, <laughs> why this isn't on the front page of every newspaper. In the, well, I know why, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know why. Yeah, but, but there's another... <laughs> Right. I mean, and you know the, the, the cancel rent movement. Right. Yeah. The cancel rent movement is forcing that issue to the front page. Um, there was a long article just published in the New Yorker by Kianga Yamada Taylor, um, called cancel the rent. And it lays out very clearly, um, why and how that can be done and, um, how folks are organizing across the country to make that demand. Um, 
just real briefly, one of the other, um, I think, more visionary things um, in Omar's Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act is a buyout fund, um, a pool of money that can be used to purchase um, homes that are foreclosed upon to prevent what happened during the 2008 crisis, which was, you know, the massive consolidation of ownership. Um, And so these this pool of funding would actually be accessible by community members so that they could actually keep housing in the community uh, and keep folks in their homes and, and actually convert it into community ownership rather than uh, corporate ownership. We've been talking about disaster capitalism a lot on this podcast lately. Um, and I think expecting the vultures to come in and figuring out ways on how to prevent that from happening is, is definitely a conversation that I think we need to start having on the left. Um, so, yeah, thanks, guys, for uh, sharing some additional details about this legislation currently in the meat grinder, so to speak. So I got two questions left for you, um, and and this is a question for both of you all. So, FEL, uh, I'll ask you first. What are some things that working people can do to protect themselves uh, against exploitative landlords during this crisis, and how can organizations like DSA help? Yeah, um, so I guess my first, the first part of my answer is going to be my mantra, like, organize, organize, organize. (laughs) Um, If you do not know your rights, your landlords, and to be frank, like, and oppressors will 100% use that to their advantage. Um, kind of falling back on some of my background in the nonprofit world, um, specifically surrounding the disability community, um, one of the things we talk about a lot is um, regarding the landmark civil rights law, the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, which is coming up on its 30th anniversary very soon um and one of the things that we were always 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 pushing is that know your rights um because if you don't you will be taken advantage of and there's kind of i i have some mixed feelings about that right like honestly we shouldn't expect people everyday folks to like have laws memorized you know, right. um, there can there can yeah. be some inaccessibility with that. But what I can say at the very least is just like know your rights <laughs> to the best of your yeah. ability. Do your research, collaborate. Um, with the stories like these come into the public view, folks are recognizing that we are so much stronger together. Um, so organizing, especially during this global like health crisis, this pandemic, it's becoming easier than ever with the technology we already have at our fingertips. Um, Another (laughs) soapbox I could get on is how, you know, technology, social media, the internet, it's made um, access and knowledge and things like that for disabled folks especially a lot more accessible, but I I won't go into all that. Um, but yeah, even an app like Facebook is quickly filling with members only groups that are constantly sharing resources, legal information, and in some cases like highlighting, especially locally, um, from what I've been seeing, the rental companies and landlords that are already exploiting their tenants. Um, you know, temporary eviction moratoriums be damned. Um, I've seen some pretty foul stuff, and it's it's been really um, fantastic to see other folks like myself um, holding these companies accountable. Um, so, yeah, organize. <laughs> know your rights. That's right. Advocate, yeah. advocate for yourself and for others. That's right. And um, I, I'm, you mentioned something that I think is super important, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad you did. Um, it, it's, it's, it really sucks that we, like working folks on top of everything else we have to deal with, now have to basically scramble and find whatever amount of, of legal knowledge uh, that we can. Um, but these were the cards that were dealt. Uh, but on the other hand, 
you know, remember that you're not alone. Chances are you don't have to go very far to find a person that, you know, might have uh, a different skill set or experience that you do. And uh, by combining your efforts, you can do more together than you ever could apart. Um, so that's Absolutely. definitely something, yeah, it's, it sounds big and it sounds scary, but if we break it down into like small tasks that we can collaborate on, um, it, it makes it a lot more manageable. For sure. Yeah. Y'all, y'all nailed it. Um, just a, you know, a few other brief words, right? Like, yes, organize, organize, organize is always the answer. Um, you know the landlords are organized. They absolutely are. They've been calling the governor and the Supreme Court um, to, yeah, your, your comment about who are the snowflakes is right on bones. Like, they're the ones raising hell about, you know, their profits being um, taken from them already. So we need to be organizing and, and getting our stories told. Yeah, know your rights and know your neighbors, um, as you're saying. Like, that's, that's the only way to... Um, build collective power, right, is through relationships and particularly in, in tenant organizing, right, like because of the way the housing market has everyone isolated and, and separated in their own little units, like we need to find the places where we can connect and um, build power against whether that's individual landlords, um, companies that are, you know, working across many different properties. And then, of course, targeting um, the state and our, our, our elected officials. We know exactly what needs to be done, and we have the legislation, like, written word for word that we can just pass into law if there is the political will. But we need to hold our elected officials accountable. And as we've all said, like, we can't rely on the state to solve the answer. So uh, another form of mutual aid that's happening right now uh, a quick shout out is the Low Country Mutual Aid Fund. Um, and this is a project that was recently launched here in the Low Country. That's where we're starting because that's where the organizers are based. Um, so sorry to the rest of the, the state, but, um, trying to pool funds from folks who are in a position of, uh, financial privilege or abundance in this moment. So we're running a, uh, a pledge your check campaign asking folks to pledge their uh, stimulus check if they don't need it or any other wealth that they're sitting on to the Low Country Mutual Aid Fund. And then um, as a collective, we're going to be redistributing those funds to folks who need it. Um, and hopefully we can send out a link to more info on that uh, bones in the show notes. Yes, definitely. I mean, honestly, like this is what it's all about. This It's about sharing uh, information and just uh, letting people know that there are folks out there that are, are are doing the good work. And just because it doesn't get on the local news every night doesn't mean it's not happening. Are there any final thoughts before we wrap up for the evening? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to take a sec to really thank folks like y'all, Chris and CJ, um, for putting in the work really needed to fight this fight and bringing attention to the issues that we're as tenants facing. Um, honestly, I think it's a combination of moving parts. You know, not everybody has the same skill set. Not everybody has the same resources. Not everybody has the same 24 hours. Um and so I think every little bit is important, Chris, like your boots on the ground work sounds like it's, you're doing fantastic stuff. Um, and CJ, like, can't thank you enough for bringing this information where it needs to be. Um, it is really terrifying to feel like we're battling all of this alone um, and just knowing that we are not going to accept things as, you know, quote unquote, the way they are is what really empowers me to keep going. Um, so I just wanted to thank you both. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, I feel like this was a really uh, awesome discussion. Um, and I really I hope that somewhere someone out there is listening and maybe 
get connected with some resources or if if nothing else just maybe not feel quite so alone because it can be kind of isolating trying to do this kind of work down here um but it doesn't have to be um an episode or a, a recent episode uh chris was talking about how um, you know south carolina is has always been this hotbed of radical organizing you know and charleston in particular it's not just this it's it's not this sort of genteel Confederate Disneyland that everybody pretends it is. Like real <laughs> shit happens here, and um, I hope that in some way we can continue moving that ball forward, um, especially in situations like this where where you know we have the opportunity to to really materially impact people's lives in a good way. Yeah, yeah. don't really don't underestimate for, um, the South. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah. Red state on I mean, us. Don't underestimate us. <laughs> oh no, yeah. Charleston's the city of Denmark Vesey, you know, and, and countless others who were revolutionaries. Um, you know, and it's just really humbling to be organizing in this moment and finding each other. So I really appreciate you, Effie, um, for all that you're doing in this moment and yeah, maybe just to, to shout out some of the other members of the Housing Justice Network, all folks who are volunteering their labor to come together in this moment um, and really trying to build the transformative relationship that will get us through the next crisis, right? Because that's really what we're organizing is not just um, for now, but it's for the future because we know more is coming at us. So, you know, just to name a few of the folks um, we're really throwing down right now, um, Princess, Allison, Rose, Julie, Kenya, Nick, Chloe, EK, Melissa, Henrietta. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of other folks. Um, Cora. Um, it's just a bunch of really badass organizers and, and we, we're welcoming more. So if, if you are listening to this and you want to join us at the South Carolina Housing Justice Network, um, please reach out. Uh, we want to build with you. Thanks. Fantastic. Hell yeah, guys. Well, <laughs> um, if any, if nobody has anything else that they want to share or or any thoughts today, um, why don't we uh, part ways and uh, enjoy our respective evenings? Okay. Sounds thank good, CJ. Thanks yeah. so much. All right. Effie, thank you. I, I really appreciate everything you're doing. And thank you so much for sh- uh, sharing some of your experience and, and uh, stories with us. Chris, thank you for coming back today and for, um, you know, talking a little bit about uh, organ- uh, tenants' rights organizing here in the Low Country. Uh, I hope we can work together again. Uh, um, best of luck to all of us. Um, be safe. Stay well, and remember, uh, to, to those of you here in, in the call today and to those of you listening, you're not alone. Um, we're here for you. So uh, can I get a solidarity forever? Solidarity forever. Solidarity <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, y'all. Well, thanks again, thanks, and y'all. y'all have a good night, okay? Thanks. Y'all do. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> of oppression for the tyrants be your might don't cling so hard to your possessions for you have nothing if you have no rights let racist ignorance be ended for respect makes the empires fall freedom is merely privilege extended unless enjoyed
hatred nor walls of stone Come greed the dawn and stand beside us We'll live together or we'll die alone In our world poisoned by exploitation Those who have taken that